Section four of the History of Emily Montague, Volume two, by Francis Moore Brook. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Section four, letters eighty-five to ninety-four. Cast list. Edward Rivers, read by Jim Locke. Arabella Fairmore. Read by Grace Buchanan. William Furmore. Read by Kevin S. Mrs. E. Belmoth. Read by Beth Thomas. Emily Montague. Read by Emma Hatton. Narrated by Sonia. Letter eighty-five to Miss Rivers, Clarges Street, Camaraskis, March twelfth. I've met with something, my dear Lucy, which has given me infinite uneasiness madame de roche from my extreme zeal to serve her in an affair wherein she has been hardly used from my second visit and a certain involuntary attention and softness of manner i have to all women has supposed me in love with her and with a frankness i cannot but admire and a delicacy not to be described has let me know i am far from being indifferent to her i was at first extremely embarrassed but when i had reflected a moment i considered that the ladies though another may be the object always regard with a kind of complacency a man who loves as one who acknowledges the power of the sex whereas an indifferent is a kind of rebel to their empire i considered also that the confession of a prior inclination saves the most delicate vanity from being wounded and therefore determined to make her the confidant of my tenderness for emily leaving her an opening to suppose that if my heart had been disengaged it could not have escaped her attractions i did this with all possible precaution and with every softening friendship and politeness could suggest she was shocked at my confession but soon recovered herself enough to tell me she was highly flattered by this proof of my confidence and esteem that she believed me a man to have only the more respect for a woman who by owning her partiality had told me she considered me not only as the most amiable but the most noble of my sex that she had heard no love was so tender as that which was the child of friendship but that of this she was convinced that no friendship was so tender as that which was the child of love that she offered me this tender this lively friendship and would for the future find her happiness in the consideration of mine do you know my dear that since this confession i feel a kind of tenderness for her to which i cannot give a name it is not love for i love i idolize another but it is softer and more pleasing as well as more animated than friendship you cannot conceive what pleasure i find in her conversation she has an admirable understanding a feeling heart and a mixture of softness and spirit in her manner which is peculiarly pleasing to men my emily will love her i must bring them acquainted she promises to come to quebec in may i shall be happy to show her every attention when there i have seen the lands and am pleased with them i believe this will be my residence if emily as i cannot avoid hoping will make me happy i shall declare myself as soon as i return but must continue here a few days longer i shall not be less pleased with this situation for its being so near madame de roche in whom emily will find a friend worthy of her esteem and an entertaining lively companion 
adieu my dear lucy your affectionate ed rivers i have fixed on the loveliest spot on earth on which to build a house for my mother do i not expect too much in fancying she will follow me hither letter eighty six to miss rivers clarges street sillery march thirteen still with madame de roche appearances are rather against him you must own lucy but i will not say all i think to you poor emily we dispute continually for she will persist in defending his conduct she says he has a right to marry whoever he pleases that her loving him is no tie upon his honor especially as he does not even know of this preference that she ought only to blame the weakness of her own heart which has betrayed her into a false belief that their tenderness was mutual this is pretty talking but he has done everything to convince her of his feeling the strongest passion for her except making a formal declaration she talks of returning to england the moment the river is open indeed if your brother marries it is the only step left her to take i almost wish now she had married sir george she would have had all the douce of marriage and as to love i begin to think men incapable of feeling it some of them can indeed talk well on the subject but self-interest and vanity are the real passions of their souls i detest the whole sex adieu a fermor letter eighty seven to the earl of blank Sillery, march thirteenth my lord i generally distrust my own opinion when it differs from your lordship's but in this instance i am most certainly in the right allow me to say nothing can be more ill-judged than your lordship's design of retiring into a small circle from that world of which you have so long been one of the most brilliant ornaments what you say of the disagreeableness of age is by no means applicable to your lordship nothing is in this respect so fallible as the parish register why should any man retire from society whilst he is capable of contributing to the pleasures of it wit vivacity good-nature and politeness give an eternal youth as stupidity and moroseness a premature old age without a thousandth part of the lordship shining qualities i think myself much younger than half the boys about me merely because i have more good-nature and a stronger desire of pleasing my daughter is much honoured by your lordship's inquiries she is belle fermor still but is addressed by a gentleman who is extremely agreeable to me and i believe not less so to her i however know too well the free spirit of woman of which she has her full share to let belle know i approve her choice i am even in doubt whether it would not be good policy to seem to dislike the match in order to secure her consent there is something very pleasing to a young girl in opposing the will of her father to speak truth i am a little out of humour with her at present for having contributed and i believe entirely from a spirit of opposition to me to break a match on which i had extremely set my heart the lady was the niece of my particular friend and one of the most lovely and deserving women i ever knew the gentleman very worthy with an agreeable indeed a very handsome person 
and a fortune which with those who know the world would have compensated for the want of most other advantages the fair lady after an engagement of two years took a whim that there was no happiness in marriage without being madly in love and that her passion was not sufficiently romantic of which piece of folly my rebel encouraged her and the affair broke off in a manner which has brought on her the imputation of having given way to an idle prepossession in favour of another your lordship will excuse my talking on a subject very near my heart though uninteresting to you i have too often experienced your lordship's indulgence to doubt it on this occasion your good-natured philosophy will tell you much fewer people talk a right to amuse or inform their friends than to give way to the feelings of their own hearts or indulge the governing passion of the moment in my next i will endeavour in the best manner i can to obey your lordship's commands in regards to the political and religious state of canada i will make a point of getting the best information possible what i have yet seen has been only the surface i have the honour to be my lord your lordships etc william fermore letter eighty eight to miss rivers clarges street sillery march sixteen monday your brother is come back and has been here he came after dinner yesterday my emily is more than woman i am proud of her behaviour he entered with his usual impatient air she received him with a dignity which astonished me and disconcerted him there was a cool dispassionate indifference in her whole manner which i saw cut his vanity to the quick and for which he was by no means prepared on such an occasion i should have flirted violently with some other man and showed plainly i was piqued she judged much better i have only to wish it may last he is the veriest couquet in nature for after all i am convinced he loves emily he stayed a very little time and has not been here this morning he may pout if he pleases but i flatter myself we shall hold out the longest nine o'clock he came to dine we kept our state all dinner time he begged a moment's conversation which we refused but with a timid air that makes me begin to fear we shall beat a parley he is at this moment gone and emily retired to her apartment on pretense of indisposition i am afraid she is a foolish girl half hour after six it will not do lucy i found her in tears at the window following rivers's carriole with her eyes she turned to me with such a look in short my dear the weak the fond the fool the coward woman has prevailed over all her resolution her love is only the more violent for having been a moment restrained she is not equal to the task she has undertaken her resentment was concealed tenderness and has retaken its first form i am sorry to find there is not one wise woman in the world but myself. 
past ten. I have been with her again. She seemed a little calmer. I commended her spirit. She disavowed it. Was peevish with me. Angry with herself. Said she had acted in a manner unworthy her character. Accused herself of caprice, artifice, and cruelty. Said she ought to have seen him, if not alone, yet with me only. That it was natural he should be surprised at a reception so inconsistent with true friendship, and therefore that he should wish an explanation. That her rivers, and why not Madame de Roche's rivers, was incapable of acting otherwise than as became the best and most tender of mankind and that therefore she ought not to have suffered a whisper injurious to his honor. That I had meant well, but had by depriving her of Rivers's friendship, which she had lost by her haughty behavior, destroyed all the happiness of her life. To be sure, your poor Belle is always to blame." But if ever I intermeddle between lovers again, Lucy, I am sure she was ten times more angry with him than I was. But this it is to be too warm in the interest of our friends. Adieu, till tomorrow. Yours, A. Fairmore. I can only say that if Fitzgerald had visited a handsome, rich French widow and stayed with her ten days tete-a-tete in the country without my permission, oh, heavens, here is mon cher Perret. I must hide my letter. Bonsoir. Letter 89 To Miss Rivers, Clarges Street, Quebec, March 6th. I cannot account, my dear, for what has happened to me. I left Madame de Roches full of the warm impatience of love and flew to my Emily at Salary. I was received with a disdainful coldness which I did not think had been in her nature, and which has shocked me beyond all expression. I went again to-day and met with the same reception. I even saw my presence was painful to her, therefore shortened my visit, and, if I have resolution to persevere, will not go again till invited by Captain Firmer in form. I could bear anything but to lose her affection. My whole heart was set upon her. I had every reason to believe myself dear to her. Can caprice find a place in that bosom which is the abode of every virtue? I must have been misrepresented to her, or surely this could not have happened. I will wait to-morrow, and if I hear nothing, will write to her, and ask an explanation by letter. She refused me a verbal one to-day, though I begged to speak with her only for a moment." tuesday i have been asked on a little riding party and as i cannot go to salary have accepted it it will amuse my present anxiety i am to drive mademoiselle clairot a very pretty french lady this is however of no consequence for my eyes see nothing lovely but emily adieu your affectionate ed rivers letter ninety to miss rivers clarges street salary wednesday morning Poor Emily is to meet with perpetual mortification. We have been carrioling with Fitzgerald and my father, and coming back, met your brother driving Mademoiselle Clairot. Emily trembled, turned pale, and scarce returned Rivers's bow. 
I never saw a poor little girl so in love. She is amazingly altered within the last fortnight. Two o'clock. A letter from Mrs. Melmoth. I send you a copy of it with this. Adieu. Yours, A. Fairmore. Letter 91. To Miss Montague at Salary. Montreal, March 19. If you are not absolutely resolved on destruction, my dear Emily, it is yet in your power to retrieve the false step you have made. Sir George, whose good nature is in this instance almost without example, has been prevailed on by Mr. Melmoth to consent I should write to you before he leaves Montreal, and again offer you his hand, though rejected in a manner so very mortifying both to vanity and love. He gives you a fortnight to consider his offer, at the end of which, if you refuse him, he sets out for England over the lakes. Be assured, the man for whom it is too plain you have acted this imprudent part is so far from returning your affection that he is at this moment addressing another, I mean Madame Desroches, a near relation of whose assured me that there was an attachment between them. Indeed, it is impossible he could have thought of a woman whose fortune is as small as his own. Men, Miss Montague, are not the romantic beings you seem to suppose them. You will not find many Sir George Claytons. I beg as early an answer as is consistent with the attention so important a proposal requires, as a compliment to a passion so generous and disinterested as that of Sir George. I am, my dear Emily, your affectionate friend, E. Melmoth. Letter 92 To Mrs. Melmoth at Montreal, Salary, March 19th I am sorry, my dear madam, you should know so little of my heart, as to suppose it possible I could have broken my engagements with Sir George from any motive, but the full conviction of my wanting that tender affection for him, and that lively taste for his conversation, which alone could have ensured either his felicity or my own. Happy is it for both that I discovered this before it was too late. It was a very unpleasing circumstance, even under an intention only of marrying him, to find my friendship stronger for another. What, then, would it have been under the most sacred of all engagements, that of marriage? What wretchedness would have been the portion of both had timidity, decorum, or false horror carried me, with this partiality in my heart, to fulfill those views, entered into from compliance to my family, and continued from a false idea of propriety, and weak fear of the censures of the world? The same reason, therefore, still subsiding, nay, being every moment stronger, from a fuller conviction of the merit of him my heart prefers, in spite of me, to Sir George our union is more impossible than ever. I am, however, obliged to you, and Major Melmoth, for your zeal to serve me, though you must permit me to call it a mistaken one, and to Sir George, for a concession which I own I should not have made in his situation, and which I can only suppose the effect of Major Melmoth's persuasions which he might suppose were known to me, and in imagination that my sentiments for him were changed, assure him of my esteem, though love is not in my power, as Colonel Rivers never gave me the remotest reason to suppose him more than my friend, I have not the least right to disapprove of his marrying. On the contrary, as his friend I ought to wish him a connection which I am told is greatly to his advantage, to prevent all future importunity painful to me, and, all circumstances considered, degrading to Sir George, whose honour is very dear to me, though I am obliged to refuse him that hand which he surely cannot wish to receive without my heart. I am compelled to say that without an idea of ever being united to Colonel Rivers, I will never marry another man. 
were I never again to behold him, were he even the husband of another, my tenderness, a tenderness as innocent as it is lively, would never cease, nor would I give up the refined delight of loving him, independently of any hope of being beloved, for any advantage in the power of fortune to bestow. These being my sentiments, sentiments which no time can alter, they cannot be too soon known to Sir George, I would not one hour keep him in suspense in a point, which the step seems to say is of consequence to his happiness. Tell him, I entreat him to forget me, and to come into views which will make his mother, and I have no doubt himself happier than a marriage with a woman whose chief merit is that very sincerity of heart which obliges her to refuse him. I am, madam, your affectionate, etc., Emily Montague. Letter 93 To Miss Rivers Clarges Street, Sillery, Thursday. Your brother dines here today, by my father's invitation. I am afraid it will be but an awkward party. Emily is at this moment an exceeding fine model for a statue of tender melancholy. Her anger is gone, not a trace remaining. Tis sorrow, but the most beautiful sorrow I ever beheld. She is all grief for having offended the dear man. I am out of patience with this look. It is so flattering to him I could beat her for it. I cannot bear his vanity should be so gratified. I wanted her to treat him with a saucy, unconcerned, flippant air. But her whole appearance is gentle, tender. I had almost said supplicating. I am ashamed of the folly of my whole sex. Oh, that I could today inspire her with a little of my spirit. She is a poor, tame household dove, and there is no making anything of her. Eleven o'clock. For my shepherd is kind and my heart is at ease. What fools women are, Lucy! He took her hand, expressed concern for her health, softened the tone of his voice, looked a few civil things with those expressive, lying eyes of his, and without one word of explanation, all was forgot in a moment. Good night, yours a Fairmore. Heavens, the fellow is here, has followed me to my dressing room. Was ever anything so confident? These modest men have ten times the assurance of your impudent fellows. I believe absolutely he is going to make love to me. Tis a critical hour, Lucy, and to rob one's friend of a lover is really a temptation. Twelve o'clock. The dear man is gone and has made all up. He insisted on my explaining the reasons of the cold reception he had met with which you know was impossible without betraying the secret of poor Emily's little foolish heart. I, however, contrived to let him know we were a little piqued at his going without seeing us, and that we were something inclined to be jealous of his friendship for Madame de Roche. He made a pretty decent defense, and though I don't absolutely acquit him of coquetry, Yet, upon the whole, I think I forgive him. 
He loves Emily, which is great merit with me. I am only sorry they are two such poor devils. It is next to impossible they should ever come together. I think I am not angry now. As to Emily, her eyes dance with pleasure. She has not the same countenance as in the morning. This love is the finest cosmetic in the world. After all, he is a charming fellow and has eyes, Lucy. (laughs) Heaven be praised he never pointed their fire at me. (laughs) Adieu, I will try to sleep. Yours, A. Fairmore. Letter 94 To Miss Rivers, Quadras Street, Quebec, March 20th. The coldness of which I complained, my dear Lucy, in regard to Emily, was the most flattering circumstance which could have happened. I will not say it was the effect of jealousy, but it certainly was of a delicacy of affection which extremely resembles it. Never did she appear so lovely as yesterday. Never did she display such variety of loveliness. There was a something in her look when I first addressed her on entering the room, touching beyond all words a certain inexpressible melting languor, a dying softness which it was not in man to see unmoved. What then must a lover have felt? I had the pleasure, after having been in the room a few moments, to see this charming languor change to a joy which animated her whole form, and of which I was so happy as to believe myself the cause. My eyes had told her all that passed in my heart. Hers had showed me plainly. They understood their language. We were standing at a window at some little distance from the rest of the company, when I took an opportunity of hinting my concern at having, though without knowing it, offended her. She blushed. She looked down. She again raised her lovely eyes. They met mine. She sighed. I took her hand. She withdrew it, but not in anger. A smile, like that of the poet's Hebe, told me I was forgiven. There is no describing what then passed in my soul. With what difficulty did I restrain my transports? Never before did I really know love. What I had hitherto felt, even for her, was cold to that enchanting, that impassioned moment. She is a thousand times dearer to me than life. My Lucy, I cannot live without her. I contrived before I left Salary to speak to Belle Firmer on the subject of Emily's reception of me. She did not fully explain herself, but she convinced me hatred had no part in her resentment. I am going again this afternoon. Every hour not passed with her is lost. I will seek a favourable occasion of, of telling her the whole happiness of my life depends on her tenderness. Before I write again, my fate will possibly be determined with every reason to hope. The timidity inseparable from love makes me dread a full explanation of my sentiments. If her native softness should have deceived me, but I will not study to be unhappy. Adieu, your affectionate Ed Rivers. End of section four.